Blog Talk Radio. We 
welcome you to Africa on the Moon on December the 15th, 2019. As we feature our theme for tonight is part two, telling the truth and fighting for freedom. That's right. We're going to tell the truth and we are fighting for freedom. That is our theme tonight. Our order for today's agenda will entail the first segment of the program. We'll talk about what's going on in our world and the community. And I invite you to call in to share with us what is going on in your world and community by calling in at 323-679-0841. Then we'll follow up on today's topic or thing, telling the truth and fighting for freedom. Like always, the way we get started with our party, we'd like to briefly introduce to you our political panelists and analysts for today's program. We first will start with Brother Haki. I'd like to bring him in right now and say, Brother Haki, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamafi Mishoki. Of course, of course, you know, my thing is all about institution building. And one of the reasons why institutions are so imperative he said, when we look at the, the, the fundamental functioning of the economic system, then we understand that fundamentally a lot of people are, you know, blocked out of that system. So the ability for people to actually excel under this current system is damn near impossible. Uh, I read, recently I read an article which got me to thinking, but let me just share some of the article. It talks about the Trump administration will eliminate $3.4 billion for food stamps, but increase military spending by $22 billion up from $716 billion to $738 billion. Now, military spending does nothing to stimulate the economy in the long run, so why is this in a strategy that ensures economic decline? In a word, it's what the rich and powerful demand. The amount of wealth owned by the wealth is over $27 trillion. That averages to over $23 million per household. In order the wealth continue to flow, sources of income or markets must be available for the wealthy to tap into. In the 80s, it was decided to enhance the gains of the wealthy. Uh, markets would be established abroad, and the U.S. domestic economy neglected. It's important people understand this fundamental point, because the way the, market, the system was structured back in the 80s was to ensure that a large number of people won't have access or participation in this current economic market. It was designed specifically for the benefit of the wealthy, and that's important we understand this point. As a consequence, the manufacturing sector, uh, we're talking about factories, and et cetera, were abandoned, and the economic forces would be investment or capital. So in other words, if you didn't have large sums of money, if you were in an investor class, investor class then impossibility terms of thriving this economy was impossible. And so fundamentally what you mean, you got a large number of people who in the minds of the, the ruling class are unimportant, people who, who are actually constitute a problem in terms of the longevity of the system. So they have to find a convenient way in terms of getting get rid of lots and lots of people the system no longer needs or desires. Now, the problem with investments, Brother Africa, is, is that when we talk about investments, we talk about risk. And, of course, one of the things that the wealthy pride themselves on is that they want a certainty in terms of the availability of profits. Now, physical plants, factories, would be established along ensuring protection of products as slave wages and safe profits. So by setting up these, these factories abroad to ensure the availability of profits, and it's relatively safe. So the, in terms of factories for the national economy, for the domestic economy, there are none. They've all been eliminated because the, the safe bet is to build those profits, those, those factories abroad, uh, to pay people slave laborers and make lots and lots of profit. 
but we have to understand that's at the expense of the people right here in America. Now, the impact of the strategy is twofold, Brother Africa. First, obviously, it's to benefit the money class or the investors. But secondly, to solidify the understanding among capitalists, the exploitation of the world is extremely profitable. So we're talking about not just the capitalists in America, but the capitalists throughout the world working together in terms of forming as much uh, exploitation for the purpose of profit as possible. Now, what does this mean for the African community? It means increasingly the value of labor in the U.S. continues to decline. Regardless of your profession, whether you're a construction worker, you're into medicine or science, they're all in decline, where automation plays a bigger role in eliminating labor uh, in pursuit of more profit for the wealthy. In other words, the way in which we should look at this is we should understand the system sees the African working class people existence as esoteric, the non-essential. Consumers, essential resources that belong to the productive class, which in the minds of the wealthy are the wealthy people themselves. Now, this reality, this economic reality, underscores why institutions are a must. As much as we want to believe voting is the solution, economic reality suggests otherwise. So the question is, if in fact we in our heart of hearts believe that we as human beings have a right to exist, we are the first and foremost acknowledge that, in fact, that we have a system that's diametrically opposed to our, our self-interest. And because of that, Mr. Pose our self-interest, then we ourselves must innovate or create those systems or those, those institutions that empower us to make it possible for us to survive under very difficult circumstances. So we need those institutions, and I encourage people strongly to go about that business of building institutions um, because they're so indispensable in terms of you know, our destiny you know, in the society. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next is going with Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And thank you once again, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. Father and Brother Moses, we am bringing Brother Jababi. Brother, Brother Jababi, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Peace, everybody. Brother Jabari, resident researcher, looking forward to another insightful program. Appreciate the honor and privilege to take part. Father Jabari, bringing Brother Marwan. Brother Marwan, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Peace and greetings to each and every to everyone. Uh, I'm grateful and thankful for the invitation to participate. Um, it's been a while since I've been on the show, uh, but so right now, the, my, my main concern uh, has been somewhat expressed uh, through Brother Haki that uh, not only in building institutions, but to, to have effective institutions, to be able to address the issues. Because one of the issues that I am constantly trying to get the word out is that uh, for African people, we are not in the situation that we're in, at, not only in America, but throughout the diaspora, simply because we're near that way. So... Uh, I just want to, uh, again, thank you for the opportunity to bring my voice to the table. Okay, we'd like to welcome all our analyst panelists to today's program. And like always, the way we get started at our party is for the first segment of the program, we're going to talk about 
what's going on in your world in the community. We start out with you, Brother Haki, lead us out. What's going on in your world in the community? You know, Brother Africa, you know, <clears throat> we talk about the, 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 the criminality affiliated with, you know, these the people in positions of power in America. And the death of that criminality knows no no end. And and one of the very strange um, um, situations uh, involves the International Criminal Court. Now, of course, those of us who understand the International Criminal Court, it was set up in 2002 for the sole purpose of sort of, um, you know, uh, dealing with these despots, these these criminals that run these countries around the world. And so it serves a very invaluable uh, uh, focus in terms of, you know, uh, limiting you know, just these people, you know, with these outrageous uh, desires in terms of total domination, control of these societies for the sole purpose of maximi- or maximizing their power. Their power. So it's very, very important to have these international criminal court. Now, one of the things that the United States initially signed on to the international criminal court and then reneged and decided they no longer want to be part of the, criminal, the international criminal court. But there was a case interesting recently that came out that was very, very interesting. And this was about... Uh, a case involving um, the International Criminal Court deciding to pursue charges against America for its um, uh, 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 for its uh, cr- crimes against the Afghan people in Afghanistan. Now, one of the things that was very, very interesting once it came to light that the uh, International Criminal Court was pursuing charges against the United States, you know, for war crimes, the U.S. the U.S. government response was, was quick. And not only was it quick, but it's very, very criminal. Uh, one, in fact, uh, a couple of individuals representative of the U.S. government uh, spoke up. One in particular was John Bolton, the former National Security Advisor. And the second one was Mike Pompeo, the current Secretary of State. Their position to the, the, the prosecutor, International Criminal Court prosecutor at this point, was her name was Fatou Bensada. Their response to her was that, you know, if, in fact, she pursued those charges against the U.S., you know, for war crimes, and this is a quote, um, if, the, if the ICC pursues a case against the U.S., the Trump administration will go after the ICC prosecutor and the judges personally, end quote. Needless to say, the, I, the ICC, the International Criminal Court, dropped the case. Now, I got to ask you, Brother Africa, this level of thuggetry is, is, is astounding. Uh, and interestingly, you know, Trump declared that, you know, once the ICC, the International Criminal Court, um, dropped those charges, he only stated that he, he stated that the International Criminal Court was, in fact, illegitimate, and then concluded by saying that uh, as a result of dropping the case against the United States, that the rule of law had prevailed. Now, I got to tell you, I wonder, what rule of law is he talking about? What, what rule of law justified the destruction and savagery committed against a people, specifically innocent people? So the mere fact that he you know, in, in, invoke, evoke, you know, this whole question in terms of, you know, rule of law when it comes to atrocities committed by the United States government against people around the world speaks values in terms of the skewed uh, uh, perception of reality that this guy has in terms of, you know, uh, what the U.S. is capable of doing. So this is another indication in terms of just how precarious our situation is in society because if, 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 if we don't get it, if we don't understand that our right to exist in minds that are powerful is unimportant. If we don't fundamentally get that point, then when we talk about things like police brutality, we talk about mass incarceration rate, people don't have access to shelter and to food. When we talk about these things, then we don't understand that fundamentally these things are all weapons, all designed to punish a people, then I guess we would never, we'll never learn. So clearly, you know, uh, we got to understand that, you know, when, when, when this guy speaks, 
you know, he's speaking for lots and lots of people in positions of power. So we must become concerned about what's going on, pay attention, and get organized. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we'll go to Brother Moses. What's going on in your world and community? Are you going to ask Brother Moses? Why are you waiting for Brother Moses to come yes, in? Yes, I'm here. Yeah, go ahead, yes, brother. What's going on in your world and the community? Well, I, the key thing is still the 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 powers that be in power right now. The anti-fascist front is fighting. Uh, you know, uh, I think we we need a united front against fascism. You know, the democratic, the socialist, and the communist forces all should be trying to stop this fascists from gaining more and more inroads into our political lives and uh, thank God he's being impeached and uh, it looks like for sure that he will be impeached and of course the Republicans will, who, are, who have decided that they are above the law and uh, won't recognize and won't accept his his mistakes and don't see them as mistakes, and uh, and uh, so he probably won't do any. He won't be strung out of office, but at least um, some of the forces will be uniting and seeing who's who and what's what, who's on what side. The lines are being drawn, and that's a good thing. Thank you. Okay, fine, Brother Moses. Brother Jabari, what's going on in your world in the community? I was recently reading an article on Black Agenda Report that was speaking on the situation in Bolivia. And in this particular article, it drew light to the fact that the so-called progressives in the U.S. Congress have a long track record of turning a blind eye to those coups that are orchestrated by the U.S., and yet can speak about how certain foreign leaders um, need to be removed because of the things that they do wrong. So it's very interesting that those that are supposed to be for the people are so blatant in calling those that fight for the people abroad um, criminals and things of that nature, miscreants that need to be removed, and they will support those efforts. But yet, when it comes to actually giving people what they need in terms inside of the U.S., they turn the blind eye and they constantly make excuses and they try to find scapegoats to save face. Okay, everybody. Interesting point. We'll come back to that. Uh, next we have Brother Marvin. Marvin, what's going on in your world in the community? Well, but what is really interesting to me right now is that I've been trying to get get out to a lot of people um, and to understand exactly what's happening here politically in America. Um, I want to bring to your attention an article that was out uh, in uh, 2000, May of 2018. I've had this article for over a year. Uh, it's called The Trump Effect. New study connects white American intolerance and support for authoritarianism. You know, one of the things that, and I've always uh, touted this, but this article uh, is really about a study that was done between 1995 and 2011. 
And in this article, uh, they did, a, for that period of time, they did a, a series of, of studies and, and, and questions, questionnaires and surveys as this, as this country began, the browning of America is beginning to take place. And what it says is uh, that the Europeans would rather live on an authoritarian state rather than to allow uh, what people like to say people of color to have any kind of power and control over them, which I think – so this was done far, far beyond um, Donald Trump being president, okay, because the study, again, was between 1995 and 2011. So when you think about what it's happened, that Donald Trump got 63 million votes, we need to be aware and stop believing that there is progress being made in, in areas of um, in our political system. And to understand that exactly what is, what is happening is because white supremacy, white nationalism uh, has taken its form from the 80s, when David Duke began to teach or uh, send his message out years ago to take off the robe and put on the suit and tie or, or and other uniform, such as police officers, firefighters, so that they would be in control. So I think it's, it's vitally important for us to start understanding what is really happening and that this has been uh, that the Europeans in America, as they see that black and brown people are beginning to rise up in this country in terms of uh, in the different classes, but they they don't want that. And so we need to be just honest to understand what's really going on here. And uh, and, and, and began to, as Brother Haki said, this is, this is where we must have institutions uh, that we can go to and work with in order to support and to defend ourselves, because all of what Donald Trump is doing, you know, that has been a history in America, that the laws do not protect us as a people. The laws are used against us as a people, okay? So I just think it's, I've been trying to get this article uh, out or this information out. I have not had an opportunity to really get into the study, but I think the article itself uh, kind of summarizes the study as to what, uh, why, what we are seeing today is uh, a result of that study. Hey, Marvin, can you list the name of the article again and what source it came from, if possible? Yes. Well, this the article is called The Trump Effect. New study connects white American intolerance and support for authoritarianism. And the article, uh, his article is uh, was can be found on NBC News uh, website. So you can go to NBCNews.com and uh, just type that in. Uh, the article came out May twenty seventh of twenty eighteen. Interesting, you model, and I would like to respond to. Um, what you just said, and I allow, I would like to hear my panelists and this, that I'd like to have that response to what you just stated, because when I heard you uh, articulate this information, one of the things that came to mind to me is, you know, 
again, this is the continuation of the impact or the effects of racism in, in, in the sense that they have made uh, European, Europeans and America so racist in their outlook of, of everything. They don't have, have no regard of not understanding the real trick is to divide people among, among a so-called color line while a few people who have the wealth and power continue to stay control and dominate. In other words, white America had been, been reduced to, you can do anything to me as long as you know, the so-called Africans are catching the most hell at the bottom. That's what came to mind when I heard you um, just articulate that information. Panelists, what's your response to it? Yeah, go ahead, Brother Mauer. No, I was going to say, and, and that's the truth. Uh, one of the things that in our discussion uh, that I have with various people in, on these issues is is the fact that we would like to, and we are conditioned to, okay, to accept because our education system is very much a, a, a product of the uh, the medium that is used to create that. You know, I often remember uh, Dr. Tony Martin uh, said many many years ago. You know, only only ten percent of the world is, is uh, uh, people of uh, European uh, descent. Okay, but yet they control ninety percent of the world. And how do they do it? They do it psychologically and mentally, and they use the education system. And so, I would say that there must be and rising up and forming the, the new institution must center around, center around education and, and and understanding what is the what has history the history that is that is not being taught that is hidden that we have to go in day in day out to read and understand to be able to teach our children because the reality is this we it's, it's very little that can be done today except for to start teaching the next generation. And that's where we have to begin to understand that in order to really solve these problems, okay, is to begin to uh, teach the next generation and build these institutions uh, or give them a foundation to build institutions to begin to fight against the oppression that we, that we see throughout the, 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 this world. Panelists, anybody like to respond to this discussion? The points that Brother Miles yeah. has raised in terms of the Trump effect? All right, go ahead, Brother Hackey. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I think one of the things we had to understand, that's a certain amount of insecurity now, one of the things that the ruling class historically has always understood, in order for them to maintain control, then they have to create conditions which says that, you know, by virtue of, of skin color, it defines, defines your standing in the world. And so, therefore, telling people that, in fact, being white entitles you to run the world is something that, to in the minds of a lot of white people, has some legitimacy. And, of course, superimposed upon is the notion that skin color determines your intelligence. And so, therefore, so when you have racism, you have a system that systematically discriminates against people of color, white people don't see this in terms of a system in place or institutions in place that deny people of color based upon nothing but the, nothing but the color of their skin. But they see it as symptomatic of the fact that these people of color 
lack the in, intellect in terms of actually being in a position to actually take advantage, you know, of you know of the economy. So clearly, this the, oh, this can, oh, this kind of logic can only exist in the sphere of insecurity because once you once you're secure in terms of who you are as a human being, then you understand that human beings, irrespective of skin color, skin skin color can never define one's intelligence. But you have to be secure in order to understand it. If you're insecure, then of course you don't understand. You turn to gravitate toward those subjectivity, the subjectivity which says that skin color defines your intelligence. So one of the things that we got to keep in mind also is that when we talk educationally, the the West has done a very good job in terms of obscuring the 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 evolution of human beings. And so therefore, if you talk to most white people in terms of the evolution of human beings, they would tell you they'll probably tell you Europe. Uh, never understanding that their evolution goes right back to Africa, as all people do, go right back to Africa. But uh, because they don't understand that, they see their whiteness as somehow being unique and not understand part of part of the human human family. And so this is a fundamental problem that that we have. So when we talk about the Trump Trump effect, Trump is willingness in terms to 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 subjugate their own interests as long as they can maintain the oppression of African people. Of course, it exists, and that's happening all the time in America. So when you talk about poor white folks, very poor white folks, we're talking about abject poverty in, 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 in the hills of Kentucky, hills of Virginia, and so, and so forth. When you talk about these very poor white folks, you know, who are racist as hell, you you got to wonder, say, well, damn, given the fact that you're so damn, I mean, given the fact that the conditions that you're confronted with, why would you advocate for any system which essentially teaches less than a human being? Well, for them, it's, well, I might be treated like less than a human being as a white person, but at least I'm not being treated as badly as you are. And plus, because I'm white, I'm, I'm better than you are. Even though my material reality doesn't reflect that, at least in my mind, I think because I'm white, I'm better than you are. So all of this can only exist to the extent that we talk about the kind of insecurity that exists you know, in the minds of white people. And particularly the insecurity, but when we talk about capitalism, capitalism does a very good job in terms of facilitating insecurity. And one of the things that in terms of defining yourself in terms of material possessions, once you buy into that nonsense about material things defining who you are as a human being, then you got to understand you would internalize almost anything. This is a problem, fundamental problem, not just with white folks, but with Africans who internalize the notion that things define you as a human being. Once you buy into that, then you pretty much buy into any kind of uh, any kind of uh, uh, frivolous uh, philosophy that is put out you by the ruling class. So I'm not surprised that when Myron talked about this Trump effect in terms of this long, um, this, this long uh, craving among so many in the white community, you know, to, 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 to sacrifice any humanity for the sole purpose of the continued exploitation of African people, I'm not surprised at all. But it's incumbent upon white folks themselves to, to elevate, to, to understand, you know, that they're being sold a bill of goods. And, 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 but all for them to do that, they have to overcome the insecurity. The question is, the irony is in my mind, is that how do you overcome the insecurity when the system is constantly teaching you to be insecure? So that's a fundamental problem I have, and, that's, and, I, and I conclude with that. Okay, anybody else? And for our listening audience, if you'd like to join in with this, converse, at this conversation, um, please call 323-679-0841, hit 1, and we will acknowledge you. We can go to... Before we do, go to our caller, we do have a caller on the line who would like to give his input. But um, anybody else from the panel tonight would like to speak to the issue that Brother Martin has raised as we talk about this Trump effect? Okay, if not, let's go to our caller. Okay, we're going to bring in caller, your last three numbers, 
you see. So I'm willing to work with anybody who's serious there in the motherland and, um, you know, put a huge dent as we can in this problem with the water treatment because we have the technology. It's just that it's been suppressed here um, in the hills of the West. But I thank you for your, um, your uh, kind consideration. If Jackie call us the other line, because we might want to have some discord with you. Um, Palace, uh, in response to this caller and the issue that he has also added to the agenda on the table? Yeah. And my name's well, Dr. Hawkins, guys, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Hawkins. Myron. Uh, go ahead, Myron. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, the, the, the brother... Um, and bringing up this issue, I, and I think it, it go uh, again for me. I, I'm at that point where w- the way that I see things, based on my background as a, as an organizational development practitioner, and solving problems. And I think that one of the things that I remember Dr. Amos Wilson um, touted many, many years ago, uh, along with Malcolm, but just a, just in a, a different variation. Is simply that we blacks in America, Africans in America, uh, with all the knowledge and education that we have been exposed to, is what we are doing, okay, with that. And the brother make, makes a very good point in being able to us hone in on to be able not only to go back to the, the motherland, the, to the continent, uh, so that we can help restore and rebuild that. As, a, as part of our homeland, but also to learn how to do that wherever we are. Okay, so that is, is, is a, it's a dynamic that that exists in this country that a lot of times we do not recognize um, the power that we have, because we this brother here said he owns his own portable water treatment plant. Okay, that's something that can be. Uh, for the next generation, and I, as I as I say, we have to focus uh, in getting other young people to understand what our problems are, because the education system in America does not help us to understand what our problems are. We are educated to solve the European problem, and not our own problem. That's one of the things that we, uh, in, in my generation, has been guilty of and getting all the, uh, the education that we do have is we, we have only been able to use to help America solve their problems without us being able to move forward, okay? So I think what the brother, one of the things that the brother touted uh, is important that we start learning how to be more creative. We have always been a creative people, but we need to start uh, making sure that our young people, the next to prepare the next generation not to have things because that's the other thing that happens and then I'm gonna I'm gonna say this and then I'll be quiet you know Neely Fuller has stated that you know until we understand what racism is and how it works then you know everything else will just confuse us and so a lot of times we operate out of confusion because we don't know what it is and we don't know how it works. Uh, because we keep buying into it, and, and, and capitalism, as the brother Haki talked about, is what we have been trained to accept as a measurement of ourselves in terms of success. So I, I appreciate the brother bringing this to our attention and to know that 
that I do know haven't been a, a small contract in, uh, in the very recent past that, yes, the white women have always been able to take advantage of anything that was supposedly uh, been laid out to, to help African people in America to to move up and, and, and out of the uh, lower socioeconomic uh, class. Yeah, you know, the... Um and first of all, let me just say, you know, greetings to the brother because the information that he uh, parlayed was uh, extremely enlightening. And I think it's important that people understand that. But, you know, one of the problems that we have to understand is that this, this, this sort of kind of Malthusian uh, mindset that exists in the mind of the West, where consistently since the 18th century, they have been advocating for the depopulation of the planet. Even though the availability of resources exist, they still advocate the depopulation of the planet. So there's a certain amount of uh, hatred in terms of people of color that exists in the Western world in terms of accounting for why they so desperately want to depopulate the world. Now, in the question in terms of water, and their brother is absolutely correct, and one of the things, in fact, when you talk about uh, lack of water here right in America, one of the things out West, the, the Nestle Corporation has been guilty of hoarding water, and corporations, in particular the wealthy, in particular, uh, I can be the former um, uh, Bill Pickett, uh, the former uh, billionaire. He was yep, actually buying. Yes, he was actually buying water. Buy, you know, these, all these aquifers with all this fresh water. They're actually billionaires actually buying the water. So what they're telling you is that they understand that there will be a water shortage. Now, superposed upon that is the fact that you have um, the process of desalination in which you can provide plenty of portable water for people if you wanted to, to the tune of, you know, maybe you know, 8 to $10 billion. Well, the position of, the position of people in positions of power is that we're not going to allocate one cent because, in fact, they want to eliminate 2 billion people from the planet. This is what they want. This is why desalination of ocean water is not an issue as far as their power is concerned because they want to eliminate, you know, 2 billion people. So this is not, this is not new. But the brother raising it is, is, is very on point, and it's very good that he raised that because oftentimes we tend to forget in terms of the history of this country, and we tend to think that everything is fine, you know, based upon our own social standing or, or uh, you know, in the society. Uh, and one thing, and the last thing I want to say also, brother, please write me because I got some people in mind who may be interested in, in, uh, in purchasing, if not purchasing, at least collaborating with you in terms of, you know, using your project on a larger scale in Africa. So please write Africa on the move, and I'll get back with you in terms of that. I'm not going to provide information on telephone, but please provide the information uh, through uh, Africa on the move website. Uh, but having, let me just conclude with this by simply saying, you know, that the brothers are absolutely correct. And, and, and if we as a people, if we don't understand the fundamental reality, uh, then we're in trouble. So the brother can disclose in terms of a lot of things that he feels in terms of philosophy, but let me be very, very clear on this point. At the point that, you're, that they're talking about genocide against African people, at that point you have a political right in terms of doing whatever it takes, what Malcolm used to say, whatever is necessary in terms of, you know, you know um, safeguarding your life. So everything, so nothing's off the table. When it comes to that point, then African people have to decide, you know, do, do you go, do you, do you, do you, do you, do you, do you go, you know, quietly, or do you stand up and fight? Those are the choices. That is the same, that is what um, uh, Samuel Vett wrote in his book, The Choice, back in 1968. These are the choices for African people. If we know that the systematically, if we know systematically they're creating conditions to eliminate large number of African people, and you know that, and you do nothing about it, then you know what? You know who the, you know who the fault lies with? It's not with your oppressor. The fault lies with you who sat there and watched that happen and, and remained yeah. silent. 
So, brother, understand your point, understand where you're coming from, and listen, I appreciate you, and please write me after on the move, and I want to put you with some people who who probably could do some business with you in terms of in terms of your project. <clears throat> Thank you. Hey, hey, yo, and if I may uh, add this bit of information, uh, we have we have water purifiers that can treat up to 50 million gallons a day, okay, of my own design. So the, the portable water treatment plants, these include filtration systems that are used by NASA, the space agency. All we deal with is certified space technology. They admit that we got the best technology in the world. The problem has been trying to get Africans in America to wake up and see what we got so we can organize and mobilize correctly. And you're absolutely right. Look, none of this means anything if we can't teach the youth. We need to teach them how to build these systems. Did you know that the U.S. Geological Survey, uh, the British Geological Survey, and other organizations found that the largest concentration of fresh water is not in the polar caps like they've been telling us, but it's right smack dead in the middle of Africa. It spans several countries in Africa, and they're not telling nobody this. So what you mentioned about T. Boone Pickens, which is one of my favorite guys growing up. I grew up in Texas. I remember that. That whole TV show called Dallas back in the 1980s was about him. He bought up the entire Texas panhandle because nobody wanted that land. He discovered that water there, sold it back to the to the state, and everybody started crying. To be honest with you, I didn't see what the problem was. They didn't want the land. He sent his own people there. They they found they they surveyed the land. They found that water and they sold it back to the state. And then that's when the state demonized him when they beat him at his own game. But I lived there. I was there in the city in Dallas when that was happening. You know. So at 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 the end of the day, I'm thinking this here. If 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 what the brother just said is absolutely true, and I agree 100 octillion percent that it is true, it is on us, man. We can't keep making excuses for this, and we can't keep saying, well, you know, we, we weren't taught any better. Our mother and our fathers didn't leave us anything, so, you know, we use that as an excuse. That's bull. They are telling us that the average white child is born with a $90,000 head start over the average black child. Now, really let that sink in. And what are we going to do about it? Like I said, we got the technology now. Water is the number one commodity on this planet. You can't do nothing without fresh water. And you're right about the desalination plants. Now, they're telling us it will cost a million dollars per household to set up a water treatment plant. And I know that's bull because with my little portable water treatment plant, you can actually desalinate water with that. You can purify water from any source up to 6,500 gallons a day. And, yes, we can, up, we can upscale that thing too. So, look, guys, we got a serious problem, but you know what? We are serious, serious solution-based people. We just got to get it together. Brother, you can stay on the line, and we'll continue to discuss those issues and others we'd like to have you. If you've got the time, stay on. We welcome you. But I would like to just say a couple things in response to some of the things you brought to the table tonight. In terms of this question of uh, we look at how they define uh, affirmative action, they have always used the concept of European women as being a minority and used as a, as a justification to misdirect or redirect resources back into that community. By using by playing the woman game as, as a minority, 
Two, if you read clear from people like Belinda and Bill Gates, they have had a project along with other think tanks for the last 20, 30 years where they have been advocating that they need to take out billions of people out of the world because there's too many. So I can see that as being very feasible in terms of what you're saying. I was just reading an article the other day where they're talking about um, using some kind of tech, they have some kind of technology of taking on carbon out of the air, out of, out, out, out of the air. And I don't know what that's supposed to, what, what's supposed to, what I've since, what some of the implications could be, but I just thought that was really interesting because I have always stated that at some point in time, we can see this coming to fruition is that they go corner and pollute the air so much that you're not going to be able to breathe air. You're going to need a device to have fresh air, and you have to, and they're going to charge you for it. So, and get the point about the water incident, you talk about um, a large percentage of it they know is in Africa. That is true because one of the reasons most people don't realize why they had to go into Libya and took Libya out, it wasn't necessarily about the oil. Oil was just one of it. Also about fresh water. Out of Libya, yeah. they found out they had one of the largest fresh water supply in that whole area, and they wanted that fresh water supply access to it. But again, you know, the problem we have as a people is we are not organized and we can't use information in a way where it can sustain itself, where we, where we can internalize and use it. So, you know, um, you know, we, we, we thank you for your contribution. And, again, we would like to stay in touch with you because we also know other folks who may would like to work with you, support you. And, um, you know, we thank you for the information. Okay. You, Anybody well, else like to talk to my brother? Yes. And well, also, real quickly, real quickly, yes. real quickly, I, real quickly. I know I've been. I don't want to uh, take up all the time, but real quickly, we also got to incorporate the weaponization of weather in terms of as political strategy when we talk about the ruling class, because they have the the, the, the capabilities in terms of actually impacting the weather. They can create conditions of drought, famine, so forth and so on. And so we got to understand that there. And, and when we talk about Trump and his desire in terms of creating this this um the space force that they're talking about, essentially what they're talking about is the militarization of space. And so, therefore, we got to be very, very careful, very, very mindful of the fact that the potential in terms of using the weather, the weather as weaponry against Africa is very, very prominent. So we got to understand the nature of the beast and understand that, you know, that we have to stand up because we really don't have a choice. If, in fact, we believe we have a right to exist as human beings, then it's something we have to fight for. It's not a given. Uh, you know, that's yeah, right. Uh, I, I wanted to, uh, and I don't know if Brother Haki remember, I gave him a document that I wrote uh, many years ago. Uh, but the, the short thing is, is that, and it was brought up, one of the things that, that, that we as a people have to start doing with the organizations that we do have is to structure them in such a manner to fight against what, what is happening to us. Uh, as a people here in America and throughout the diaspora. All of this is happening because they have these think tanks, okay? The, our situation is socially engineered, and we have to socially engineer our way out of it. And one of the challenges that we face as a people is understanding what our associations and organizations uh, should be doing. Okay, and 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 truly identify what the problem is, not not based upon what they tell us it is, 
but to understand that we have to be able to solve our own problems. And we're going to have to have these institutions. We're going to have to have our own think tank that, that think 10, 30, 40, 50 years down the road because that's what they do. And, 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 and just, therefore, they put things in place that condition people over time to be able to accept things, okay, so that, so that that conditioning process is, is, is coming through these various organizations through think tanks. They take their brightest minds. We're going to have to start getting our brightest minds and create our own think tanks to start solving these problems. So when the brothers say that we don't have an excuse, he's absolutely right, because we now have the knowledge. We have the information, and we just have to have the will to do to bring these org to create and develop these organizations and it's not just one organization. That's one of the things that I've been working with over the years. It, it can't be just one organization. We have to have multiple organizations with expertise in the areas that we need uh, to, to 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 be able to build the forces within our own community throughout America and the diaspora to be able to survive. Because yes, I don't think it's they don't hide what they are trying to do. As far as the Space Force, and was in Richmond Time Dispatch uh, a year or two ago, where they they laid out the space station, okay, and they and they have every nation, okay, where they are breaking, uh, uh, was showing different aspects of the the space station, of uh, that represented the nations on Earth. You know which nation was not there. Africa. So we're going to have to, in order to do this, to solve our problem, as Brother Haki started off in the beginning, that is a passion, is building our institutions so that they address our problem and not the European problem that they are telling us that need to be solved. You know, you know, you know go ahead, Haki. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, um, I, I, I concur that we have to take a stand. But you know what? We have to, you know, uh, we have to uh, consider the possibility that this question in terms of fear is a is a, is a, 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 a recurring theme in terms of the unwillingness of so many people to get involved in terms of their own survival. Uh, this is problematic. Uh, one of the things, you know, we, we talk about, uh, you know, what goes on in society. We understand the implications and we understand the hardship that our people have to endure as a result of the systematic abuse that our people are subjected to on a daily basis. But in understanding what goes on systematically uh, in terms of how the economy operates, how the system works, then we understand in doing so, you know, uh, you, can't be, you can't be intimidated. And I think, unfortunately, for a lot of our people, they are intimidated. It's not that our people don't understand something isn't fundamentally wrong. It's that they're intimidated. And so what can we do in terms of empowering our people to say, you know what, I'm no longer going to be scared. I'm going to stand up and fight for that which is right. I'm going to stand up and fight for my survival. How do, we, how do we inculcate those kind of values in our people? We try to give examples in terms of people historically in the African community who have stood up and said, listen, despite the odds, I'm going to stand up because it's the right thing to do because it's what my ancestors have always done, and I'm going to continue that process. But uh, but uh, anything short of actually empowering our people to stand up and to confront their fear, I don't know if we realistically can, can anticipate or expect to to for them to be involved in things like institution building institutions, or things like, things that in fact challenge the status quo. 
that is a fundamental problem, I think. And particularly, I think we have to we have to at some at, at some juncture we have to include the churches, because uh, historically they've always denied us political leadership, but they allow us to have churches. So pre- so preachers uh, actually function as as political leadership in the African community, because they're one of the few entities in the African community which has command of large and larger large and larger number of African people. And so, therefore, we have to inculcate them in terms of anything we do in terms of trying to move forward. The question is whether or not the the conditioning in terms of the church would would make it uh, possible or make it palatable for them to actually engage in this question in terms of creating institutions or the empowerment of African people. It might run counter to the the Christian narrative, of course. We understand that when the original Christianity began in Ethiopia, and we understand that that the original Christianity has nothing to do with this Western Christianity they teach the people now. But nonetheless, people have internalized this Western Christianity, and, and, and to, the, to that extent, it teaches people to, to be to be self-destructive. So clearly, you know, what do we do in terms of trying to foment a, a kind of um, bravery in our people to stand up against the odds? Because right now. Too many people are afraid. They're afraid to even speak out. Most people are afraid to speak out. They'll listen to this program, but they wouldn't dare call in out of fear. So that is a fundamental problem that we are confronted with. So if anybody have any ideas in terms of what we do to inculcate some bravery in yeah. people to stand up, then please tell me. Yeah, yeah. Can, I, can I respond to that? Um, look, and that's a very good point, and that's a point that I've wrestled with for the longest time. First of all, what I try to inform people, and there's only so much I can say right now, and we'll talk more about this offline in a more secure manner. However, we are not half as defenseless as we think we are. The brother mentioned uh, weather engineering and things of this nature. Okay, to be specific, the actual scientists regarding weather engineering is called precursor field engineering. The exact same technology can be used for mind control, okay, taking over a person's nervous system at a distance. I know this for a fact because I've invented a system that does that, but does it remotely and in a good way. It's a healing tool, and certain forces have uh, sought to weaponize it, and I won't give it to them, you know, because I understand how it could be used. So, again, if if we were to talk, for real, and and because we're the only people on this planet that don't have these ties, and we don't seek to have ties for some strange reason with African militaries, the the way that the police are treating us here in the states, if they did that to a Chinaman, the Chinese would 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 China would 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 declare war right now. The same thing with any other nation. If they did that to to a Russian here, if the police were beating the heck out of Russians like that every day, uh, shooting a, a, black, a Russian uh, child's mom in front of their children and stuff like that, man, it, it would have been on and popping. Why? Because they have connections to their military. What we got to start doing is interacting with uh, the militaries in the motherland. Now, I know that there are certain... Uh, legislations and uh, different types of laws and things of that nature that were designed to keep certain weapon systems out of the people's hands, you know. But one thing I can tell you is that the most advanced systems on this planet in terms of self-protection are very easy to engineer. They're, they're a lot easier than you may believe. 
Now, if we could just get the youngsters to pay attention and teach them the sciences of uh, precursor field engineering, uh, reversing a time, um, or should I say creating a time reverse weapon, like with the radar system, the new 5G systems. You want to know what that really is? It's a time reverse radar. Okay, this is what Einstein was talking about in his special relativity, about time going in reverse the, the opposite way. This is something our ancestors spoke about, if you know how to read those hieroglyphs in ancient Kemet. This is what they were talking about. The pyramids were actually a weapon system. So that our ancestors knew certain things, and this is why our history, or in part why our history was suppressed, the sciences, the ancient sciences. We can use our sciences to help liberate ourselves, but we got to start manufacturing. And if the people understood that, yes, there are, there are organizations, secret organizations within our community that will hold people accountable when they cross the line, then they'll feel more uh, brave when it comes to stepping out and speaking truth to power and things of this nature. And I suggest that we start here. And I said this to a friend of mine who owns a very large security company, one of the largest black-owned security companies in the world. Could you imagine what would happen? If every black security company in America came together under one umbrella, do you realize we'd have an intelligence and a counterintelligence community overnight? But that's some grown man stuff, and a lot of them aren't willing to have that conversation just yet. But I say we start there. But, and, and brother, let me just say I concur with you. And one of the things is, as you say, it's not as difficult as most people think, because it takes one simple thing that you, that you start with. It's the ability to change your mind, okay, to see what is before you and stop closing your eyes. And so with, when, with miseducation, you could be looking at something and not know what you're looking at, okay? But once your eyes are open, you can see. So, and which requires us to change our mind. And so, one of the things I've been advocating to, to people is, and more, and I'm seeing it more here in Richmond, uh, more people are beginning to homeschool their children so that they can bring to their children a, a, a true African centered education, okay, that they know that their children are not getting, um, uh, especially at the element, elementary school level. So we got to have the ability to get our people to open their minds by changing their mind to listen, okay? Then we can move forward because I, it's, a, it's a simple thing. If we start learned how to just start functioning as a nation within a nation, okay, and that goes back to the economics of just taking our dollars that we do have and start spending them among ourselves, Seeking out those businesses for the things by each and every day uh, needs, okay? And in this community, all the eateries, okay? But we got to get out those business people to understand the importance of reinvesting that money into the community, which goes back to what we are talking about in creating these organizations. But I'm not going to go too deep into that because, again, we need to have a conversation among ourselves to start really making a commitment to bringing about the change that we are talking about. 
Brother brother raises some very powerful points, but one one point, one earlier point that brother raised. Let me just give him a cautionary tale in terms of my view. And I think the question around terms of contact in military in Africa, in terms of trying to form relationships with the military in Africa, gotta be careful about that one, brother man. Gotta be very careful about that one. Uh, we're not quite there in terms of the understanding in terms of imperialism. And one of the things when we talk about those individuals who are willing to defend imperialism. We have to understand the role the military plays in Africa in terms of defending imperialism. And my concern uh, is that if you go to them and actually talk to them in terms of trying to facilitate this, 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 this uh, relationship, they're more apt to see you as the enemy. In fact, one of the things you've got to be very, very concerned about is that they take their cues from, from the Western world. So Western intelligence tells them to say, okay, this brother over here talking about some trying to facilitate a relationship with the military, if they say, well, this guy is a risk, you know, he needs to be dealt with, you'll be dealt with in whatever way they, they deem necessary. So my concern is that, you know, uh, we got to be very, very careful in terms of, at this point in history, in terms of that kind of relationship. Certainly we have to have a relationship with the masses of people on the continent, our brothers and sisters on the continent, and that's, that's, we got to have that. But in terms of military, at this point, I don't think we're quite there, and we got to be very, very circumspect in terms of, at this point in the history, approaching the military in Africa, simply because their allegiance, you know, to foreign powers. So it's uh, just a cautionary tale, so something that you might want to think about. If I concur with that point, Brother Haki, and to add to that is that probably 90-95% of most of your African governments are under the control and puppets and neocolonial governments, they are owned and controlled at this stage by the West, U.S., and Europe. Right now, you have over probably about 90% of the countries now have a U.S. base in our country. Now, what government that's seeking to be independent, what government that want to be free, what government that believe in justice, what government that believe in social development of its people will allow the enemy military base to be occupied in their own country? This is the new reality phenomenon that the African people will have to deal with. We've not confused Secretary Ray and Krumah understood this a long time ago. What they do, their imperialism, military bases will come in Africa. And, and, and Secretary will correct in saying the tombstone of imperialist capitalism will be found in Africa. We're going to have to go through that process. Because once you put militaries on your bases, you can't actually leave. You're going to have to take them out by force. This is something that later generations of Africans will have to organize and deal with as a result of the realities that we are dealing with today. So for me, I would think the best way to deal with Phil is to create an international permanent revolutionary pan-African organization, as the crew was stated back in, in, in 59, called for all African people party, revolutionary party, to be a vehicle direct and controlled actions of African people on a global basis, with Africa being the focal point. Our biggest problem fear direct relates, 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 is related to we are just disorganized. If we are organized as a people, if we belong to organizations, in this case, I'm talking political organizations, that are seeking to truly deal with the ills of our people, that will eliminate 
this question of feel. And I think the sixties and many examples are people good example of it. When you look at the movements, when people join the movements, if you believe that you are part of a group that's something bigger than you, the feel is less likely to uh, immobilize you from being able to do things. So our problem is we, we are just disorganized, totally disorganized. And with that comes with the understanding to organization, yes, we will be an institution. To organization, yes, we will come up with strategies. With organization, African people will create their own philosophy of how you think and how to analyze the world and make our decisions. I mean, we have a we have a a a a a, 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 a map, a blueprint based on our history to chart our court to deliberation. The question becomes, do we know it? And if we know it, are we willing to um, submit to it? It's not mysticism when you look at the history of the African people from its beginning time today in terms of how we can move our people forward. And this issue of dealing with our youth in schools, unfortunately at this point in time, the schools, are, our kids are in the enemy camp. They are structured, the public schools, to the point right now that you have no sense of, over what your kids see or do once they enter into that building. Matter of fact, you don't even own them no more once they're in the building. Right now, if they cause a special emergency, and they say at that point in time, if your kids are in school, you don't have no control over the school. They can control your, your children. If you have ideas you will present or to raise with our youth in these, in, in these so-called institutions today that we call schools, it becomes highly unlikely that you will be able to even present it because they always have policies and methods to keep you from being able just to even introduce it. And furthermore, the most of our educators in this system today have given their allegiance to how to survive. How can you just make them money? That is more important than the true interest and liberation of, of our people. Talk to the teachers. They will tell you, even those who claim we're conscious. Yes, brother. Tell the truth, but I can't say that to our children because I might lose my job. So how do we deal with this, deal with that kind of phenomenon? You have principals, <coughs> you have social workers. Understand that the school systems today are no more than a new form of prisons. They have conditioned and trained our kids to function prison-like and to become a new form of prisons. How do we deal with that? How do we adjust that? If we don't have serious mass political organization, first and foremost. But anyway, this is a, a struggle that will continue. I do believe, if we look at our history, Dr. King were right, and many other people were right when they said African people will make a way out of nowhere. We're going to win this. But this question of also looking at this lack of understanding, this contradiction of the class aspects when it comes to our people, because a lot of our people benefit from our oppression and our suffering. And they will fight against you to change anything if it means they will lose money. So Africans, how do we address all of this? Brother it's Africa. clear 
Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Bobby. It's clear that there needs to be, as you say, institutions in base where institutions in place, excuse me, where our children especially are able to get access to that history that's not going to be taught in indoctrinated school systems. Because given the amount of history that isn't taught, it's important that we tap into resources that are available outside of um, those curriculums, which are strictly centered around certain standardized tests where certain things are getting depend on the percentages of students that pass those tests, which really don't get a measuring stick of anything because it just teaches you how much you can be able to learn from having the same thing recited to you day in and day out. So that's the thing you have to understand, that they're trying to do this to mentally break us down and condition us. Because I can remember a couple of mentors of mine made a very good point when you look at certain leaders, especially for people of color, they may have went through the um, U.S. school system, but they were careful to understand that they had to be critical of it. It's not just going through it, but understand going through it with a critical eye, given that it's not in your best interest. Yeah, Brother Africa, the, the question you, you, you raised is a very intricate one, and that is a question in terms of liquidating liquidating class. Of course, you, you can't liquidate class. I mean, class will always be with us. I mean, so when we talk about those Africans who have access to a little something, you know, got a little house, a little car, you know, access to a little money, a little bank account, of course, in their mind, everything is fine. In fact, when you critique capitalism, they don't want to hear that. Their position is that capitalism is great, even though they don't have the kind of scale in terms of errands that qualify them as a capitalist. They still perceive capitalism being a great thing. So we got that problem. We got that problem. And the thing is that we're not talking about a large number of African people in terms of being, of being you know, uh, uh, actual uh, beneficiaries of the capitalist system. We're talking about a very small number of Africans who are actually beneficiaries in terms of the capitalist system. So, we, so to some extent, I guess we could say that you know, we really can discount that small number and concentrate more on the larger number of people who are in the middle or who are working class, you know, who, understands, or who want to understand at least there's some serious problems that uh, permeate the society – and then the only way we can resolve this is massive organization. So I think that's what we have to do in terms in terms of uh, moving forward. I, I think this question in terms of class can never be addressed. And it would be nice if we could, in fact, if you had brothers and sisters who may have access to information. That's why I respect this brother on the line. The mere fact that he has ac- apparently he has access, you know, to money, and he could simply sell out and say, you know what, the hell with these people. You know, I'm about I'm an entrepreneur. I'm gonna make my money. I don't give a damn about this other stuff that you people are talking about. The mere fact that he does that speaks to his kind of his consciousness. And so what we want to do is instill that kind of consciousness and Africans who have access to wealth and money and, 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 and education to use those 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 gifts for the benefit of their people and ultimately the benefit of all humanity. But that of course that's a different struggle and, and of course that's not an easy struggle because that is question of question of class. But I think that um in terms of teachers, Brother Africa, I think one of the things that when we talk about teachers, we can't negate the point that when we talk about terms of colonial mindset that existing around our people, a lot of these teachers have that same slave mentality. They grew up in the same educational system, which taught them to, to value everything that is quote-unquote Western and to pay down everything in which is African. And to some extent, they also have internalized the notion of skin color defining intelligence. And so therefore, when they look at African children, do they really see children who are capable of learning, children who are, who are descendants you know, of, of geniuses, of kings and queens, they're more likely to see them simply as hood rats. 
So, I, I, so it's, it's a real, very interesting problem. So, you know, all this underscores the point that Miles is making that we have to have, you know, institutions uh, or private school settings in which make damn sure that our children understand fully their, their, their contribution to humanity, their, their, their legacy in terms of being an African person and all that entails. So anything short of that, if our, people, our children don't grow up understanding the contribution or the, the legacy of African genius, then they would never uh, thrive in a society. And that's what it's all about. Capitalism is to make damn sure that African children don't come to realization of who they are and their contribution to humanity. And so when we talk about the evolution, we talk about civilization, and we talk about all those things, science and medicine, and we talk about all those things, all the origins go right back to Africa. But unless the kids understand that, unless they're taught that, and you give them the resources you know, to research that stuff, then they become victims of a system which is totally geared toward um, you know, diminishing you know, the brilliance that shines you know, in the minds of African children. So this is the fundamental problem that we're, that we're confronted with. Classism aside, you know, we got to go with those individuals in African community who understand precisely what the struggle is all about. Let let me just add on to that, uh, again, to bring a solution. Not not that it's easy. However, uh, as far as uh, teaching our children, the African children, um, as well as their parents, we have to have the people who uh, are part of this struggle who are willing to give up one one Saturday, okay? That that can be utilized to to teach children. I'm involved with a program right now, one Saturday a month, okay? Uh, now I'm not dealing with a lot of whole lot of conscious people, but it does allow. But they because they want to see their children have a better future. And one of the things that I have an opportunity to do uh, each month is to present to them, uh, just as we are having this discussion, but I I turn it so that they can start questioning, because you want your children to have a better education. So what is that? How? Do, what does it look like? And what does it entail? And once you start being able to, to, to help them to start understanding who we are as a people, and I give them the resources to go uh, look this information up so that they can start understanding why and what they need to do when they are at home with their children, you know, so that they don't get caught up in, in, in a lot of the, the minutia in the school system if they have their children in the school system. But as I said, many of them uh, are homeschooling their children, okay, because they they are beginning to recognize that their children's future. So I think it's not as gloomy uh, as it appears. It's just that we have to start understanding that asking those of us who have the ability, who have some level of comfort, not that we have a lot of money, but we have some knowledge, okay, and that, you know, we're not asking people to pay us for that. We are giving it to them, okay? So, some some program it don't have to be a Saturday, but at least one day a, a month where uh, vol- people are volunteering their time because it means that much to them to expose their people, especially with their children, because this is about the future. Okay, this is about the future because I know myself and Ray, uh, I mean Brother Haki, you know, we we got what maybe whatever number of years, 
but whatever we do, do need to be in preparation for the future. Okay. So the definition is, 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 is okay. it's called volunteerism within our own community to bring about that change without without having to require uh, a payment. Okay, panelists and guest participants, you are listening to Africa on the Move. Uh, today's program, our theme is Telling the Truth and Fighting for Freedom. Right now, we have been discussing issues on what's going on around our world and our community with the various guests and panelists, and we will continue the discussion when we come back from our station break. If you are listening in, you'd like to share your views and comments, please feel free to call in at 323-679-0841. The radio show is a community project under the banner of the African Women Association. If you have any comments or questions that you'd like to ask or would like to participate on the show, please email us to AfricaOnTheMove2 at gmail.com. That's AfricaOnTheMove2 at gmail.com. So we will continue this dialogue when we come back. We're going to pause for this calls. And remember, this is Africa on the Move. We'll be right back.
back to Africa on the Move. You listen to host Brother Africa, and we want to remind you, don't you become a buffalo soldier. Stop fighting other people's walls. If you want to fight one, join the wall for the liberation of your people and humanity and free that wall so all men and women can be free to reach their fullest potential. Tonight, our theme is Part 2, Telling the Truth and Fighting for Freedom. Right now, we are speaking under the category of what's going on in our world and the community. There have been several issues that have came up under the subject area. We'll have to continue this discussion because we think that information is very important. We understand the importance of proper information is that if you have the proper information, you can use it as a tool to help liberate your people. So I'd like to welcome my panelists and analysts back and welcome my guests back as well. We will continue the discussion. I'd like to um, go to Brother Jabari um, in terms of his presentation of what's going on in his world community. He mentioned something about an article in the in, um, Black Agenda Report as he talked about the behavior and the political uh, behavior of the, of the Black Caucus. Well, I believe I will paraphrase where he made a statement that in the article, one of the things Black Agenda Report raised was the was the behavior of the so-called African Caucus or Black Caucus in the U.S. up in D.C. They can talk about um, forced acts of other presidents to step down in other countries. But, you know, when it comes to... Um, making real decisions that um that affects affect our people and stuff. They um they fall a lot short, you know, they fall real short. So, um I just found it real interesting, um uh panelists, when you look at the behavior of the black caucus and look at how politics they are and when you talk about feel, it's real clear that very feel fearful of making any kind of decisions that can threat the US interests even when it comes to the interests of our people, Africa and African people throughout the world. What do you make of the value or why even there's a need to have a black caucus at this stage of development? Is there any value to it at this point in time? If you look at how ineffective they have been most of the time in terms of not truly representing the aspiration and interests of Africa and African people, panelists. Your response to that. And Brother Zabari, you can start us off with your take. <clears throat> I'll preface my comment by referencing a movie from the early 90s entitled The Distinguished Gentleman. In said movie, Eddie Murphy was able to use the fact that he had a name very similar to a popular um, congressperson to get elected to office. And what was very interesting, as soon as he got elected to office and went through orientation, one of the more experienced congressmen basically um, had to sit down with him, got to know him a little bit, and basically wanted to give him the rules of the game to indoctrinate him. So in the early stages, Abe Murphy was acquiescing, going along with the program, going through the indoctrination. But as the course of the movie goes on, he became more aware as to how things were done in terms of the shady dealings and things that are done behind closed doors. Those just business as usual. Ultimately, he decided to go against what the rules of the game were, and that led to a struggle on his own part once he came into that consciousness. But I feel that that was a good, even though it was fiction, it was giving us a glimpse as to what will happen today in terms of 
position of this black caucus, I'll say even just bigger in general, the Democratic Party, the position they have to take in terms of if they want to have so-called political viability. Not necessarily the respect of the people, but political viability. There's certain unwritten rules and certain rituals they engage in that we may we wouldn't see because that will um, unveil what really goes on in terms of in D.C. And we have to remember, the quote stands true, politics makes strange bedfellows. So ultimately that means, doesn't necessarily mean that we have to like each other, but if we want to be successful, we have to do what we have to do to make sure that the interests we represent are met. Otherwise, we're going to have problems. Not saying that I agree with that, but that's the reality. Okay. Um, let me, if I may, uh, chime in on this to answer Brother Africa's question about the viability of the uh, Black Caucus. Let me just say that there's two answers to that question from my perspective. But because I make a distinction uh, between black representation and black leadership, okay? Black representation is simply what the black caucus is. It's representation of people who serve in a political in the political capacity of this country from the various districts. Uh, because if you look at it, you know, we're talking about the House the con- of Congress the House of Representatives, where they represent districts. Um, and here in Richmond, if, if uh, for, for those who may not understand or remember, that at one point in time in Richmond, Richmond was, was considered a chocolate city, which meant it was more than 70% black. At this moment in time, Richmond is less than 50%. And the last number I saw is about 48.1%, and it may be less. So Many of the black uh, politicians that now go into politics are not representing black folks. They are representing their district and with their whatever skills and ability to get elected in a district that is not predominantly African, they then, in my uh, opinion, lose or understand what, uh, what issues we have uh, within the black community. Number two, as a result of that, uh, because of gentrification that takes place and is taking place and has taken place, we no longer have a community like most of us grew up in, at least what I grew up in, which was a truly totally black community. Okay? We, so the black representation is, is just that. Black leadership is something totally different. Okay? And not necessarily have to be in Congress. Or in, or in some political uh, entity to be able to help provide that leadership. So I, my answer to that is that if we uh, can only understand what the issues and we can frame our issues uh, about what is really going on, because uh, having been involved, being involved at some level, as Brother Haki can t- adjust to, attest to, is uh, – a lot of times we don't we discuss issues as they are given to us and not understanding what those real issues are. So we could have a possibility where they could be viable, but we need to make a distinction between black representation and black leadership. Yeah, I uh, you know uh, you know my my position is this. Um, my position is that the um, so-called black caucus should be disbanded. It serves no useful purpose. And my concern is when you talk about the kind of visibility that they enjoy, 
they send a perception that, in fact, they represent a particular constituent. In this particular, in this particular case, we talk about the African community. And it, it does have repercussions in terms of the perception of our people. And one of the things is when, these, when, when they endorse policies which are antagonistic or in opposition to the interests of African people, whether it be in the United States or in Africa, when they do that, people around the world somehow get this perception that, in fact, that uh, African people are somehow um, – not particularly concerned about the plight of African people, you know, both in the U.S. and on Af- in Africa. So I think, for, for procedural reasons, I have a, you know, um, perceptual reasons. I have a real problem in terms of their, their visibility. Uh, you know, so I think that, you know, um, you know, in, in line with what Myron is saying, I think that the, the focus has to be on, on leadership. And to that extent, we have to begin to legitimize our own leadership. And, and, and one of the things that Farrakhan talked about about a couple years, about three years ago, he talked about a government within the government, and which was very very good. Unfortunately, he didn't follow up on that. On that, but the thing is, the great thing about a government within the government is that it gives you the opportunity to legitimize your own leadership. And so, those brothers and sisters who are truly committed to the aspirations or committed to the struggle in terms of the empowerment of African people. Those people become have legitimacy, and so therefore, people look to them in terms of addressing real, very, very difficult and hard questions, and that is what we need. Right now, currently, what we have is people in positions of power and in limelight, uh, people with so much with all this visibility, who interest has nothing to do in terms of the aspirations of African people. In fact, everything they do is in, not only in keeping in terms of empowerment the system. But everything they do is, in fact, destructive to African people. I mean, everything. And, and it's, it's ironic. So it seems to me that we got to begin to understand that the Congressional Black Caucus serves no useful purpose. And uh, so I think that uh, it has to be disbanded because it does more harm than good. Anyone else like to respond to that? Brother Moses? Yeah. Brother Ask. Yeah, go over Jabari. Go ahead. Brother Moses, first. One thing we, Jabari, one thing we have Jabari. to understand, if we look at this question of the, um, is it even necessary to have this Congressional Black Caucus, one has to ask, why did the Democratic Party even decide that that was essential? Because the one thing you got to understand with caucus organization, all caucuses have a particular function in terms of the overall agenda of that particular party. So any time you even agree to take part in it, because there have been some black politicians that did not take part, even if they were serving, because they saw what it represented. But any time you say that you're going to agree to take part, you're agreeing to toe the line. So they would not have that caucus in there if it wasn't a very detrimental um, position in terms of what they take towards people of color. Why would they even want to have that institution within the bigger institution of the Democratic Party? Well, well, let me let me let me address that because. Not that I that I know uh, 100%, but I can tell you, if, if we spent more time understanding the, the politics of things, uh, when, I, when we talk about the Democratic Party, or particularly the Democratic Party, what we are talking about is you have to look at the structure, okay? And you have to ask about the demographics. At this moment in time, the Congressional Black Caucus Represent the the voting bloc that keeps them in power. But if you look at the leadership of the Democratic Party, it is not us. Okay, uh, and so the issue, and I've always said this: if, if if we really took the time to to study not the history and within the U.S. and not just what they tell us, 
there's an argument between two groups of people, white folks, okay, Europeans, that uh, the conservatives and the liberals, and they have always formed these various parties over, over time as this country has progressed, and has always been the argument as to what to do about us, okay? So the Democratic Party over the years, uh, which we now mostly represent, and, and and when it comes time to voting, okay, that that that's a voting block that has that they have at their disposal. Okay, so we have to start talking about well, who is, who is the, who is the, the Democratic Party base? Okay, we have to listen to the language that's being utilized, and so I don't totally concur that we are their base. We are just a large voting block uh, in order to try to address the issue, uh, some of the political issues, the economic issues, okay? And we have to understand we do need to be a part of some type of party because, uh, as Neil Fuller has always said, politics is one of the nine activities of life, regardless of where we are anywhere in this in this world. We need to be uh, – Cued into the politics because the politics is tied to the economics. Economics uh, is the driving force of what makes politics work. So, the Congressional Black Caucus. I mean, I'm, I'm totally in uh, total agreement with Brother Haki that hey, if they disbanded it today, it would be okay with me. However, if we continue to be that main voting block within the Democratic Party, then we would need to be able to shape it to fit the needs to address the issues that we need to be addressed. Uh, if, if I may be so bold, uh, I would like to put everything that I just heard in perspective. Go ahead. You know, you, you know I would say it like this. Let's just be clear. The Congressional Black Caucus is symbolic and ceremonial at best. I'll give you a prime example. Look at the stuff that jumped off in Flint, Michigan. How the hell are you going to let them poison an entire city of single black mothers and children and nobody really raise any cane about that situation? If the Congressional Black Caucus had any true power, Something would have been done within the first three months, but it wasn't. They still got the same problem there. And you know what happened? They went from Flint, Michigan to Newark, New Jersey. I told people in 2016, they didn't, actually it was 2015, they didn't believe me, but Flint, Michigan was a beta test to see how black men across the board would respond to them poisoning an entire city. Now watch this. We did the numbers back then, and from the government's own statistics, 85% of um, the, the people in Flint at that time, the adults, were single black mothers. 35% of those women had four children. Another 25% had three children. Another 25% had two children, and half of the remainder had at least one child. That's who they poisoned. Where was the National uh, Congressional Black Caucus at? Where, where were they at? 
You see what I'm getting at? Same thing in Newark, New Jersey, another chocolate town. And since we're using movies as a reference, I point to the old school movie, Three the Hard Way. They told us what would happen. And, and instead of Flint, they used the, the uh, city right down the street from Flint, Detroit, as, as the probing area where this stuff actually happened. So, again, let's just be clear. They're ceremonial. See, for some strange reason, black folks in America, Africans in America, whatever you want to call us, we are big on symbolism. You know, we don't have to have much substance as long as you, you know, shuck and jive and, and, and throw us a couple symbols here and there. You know, Obama was in office. He dropped the mic. You know, he blew a couple kisses, you know, this and that. But really, you know, what did we benefit you see, Frederick Douglass, and I'll close with this, I think he said it best. Power concedes nothing without a demand. We haven't demanded nothing. And until we do, and we really mean it, and we're going to have to start somewhere, you know, and, and I would suggest that we hold these politicians accountable, like the National, uh, the, the Congressional Black Caucus. Okay, let's say, for example, they don't get disbanded. I say we do this, and collectively we have this power. Those politicians should pay with their lives when they lie to us. And they, that should be clear. That should be clear from the onset. Okay, if you promise us one thing and then you get, you get into uh, the show, so to speak, and you start going against what, what you told us, you're going to be held accountable. You know, they, they, if, as, as long as we go in that direction where there's true accountability and we start getting rid of this, this uh, you know, uh, symbolic BS and, and ceremonial uh, uh, type of organizations, I'm with it. But I can tell you right now the youth are sick of it, and they're starting to figure it out. Yeah, let's be real. Hold on one let's second, Hacky. Let, let me ask this brother one question about the Flint situation. What's the difficulties of reversing the water back to its original source? Because it's my understanding that they, they, they made a decision, they made a political sentence decision to take the, the normal source where they were receiving water that was okay and switch it to another set of water. So if they realize that water's not good, why are they coming right back to the water they've been getting? What, why is that so difficult? Well, and and that's a fair question. Now, the answer to that is a scary uh, answer, and that is because there were so many chemicals in the Flint River that once they switched to it, those chemicals interacted with the pipes and stripped off the coating that was there because they didn't add other chemicals to the water like they were supposed to to protect the coating that was on the pipes from being removed that would allow the lead to be leached into the water. You see what I mean? So once that happened, and believe me when I tell you, as a water expert, that had to have happened on the highest possible levels. In case in point, the gentleman who was the uh, foreman of the water treatment plant in Flint, he died. He got murdered the day before the sister who organized the uh, some of the original protests and the lawsuit against the state of Michigan died. Both of those two activists died within hours apart, and nobody even talked about that. How the hell are you going to have the top guy 
at your water treatment plant get murdered. There's really no police investigation. The feds didn't step in. And when you look at the water laws in America, which I've, I've been trying to educate us, uh, you know, for, for years on that, uh, if, if, for example, if they could have blamed that type of uh, occurrence on, let's say, Saddam Hussein or bin Laden or anybody like that, they would have labeled it terrorism. If if any if if anybody outside of the government would have done the exact same thing to a water supply, they would have labeled that person as a terrorist, and they would have had that person's head. Now the real question is, how come we didn't demand, and how come we didn't label him? And his cabinet as a terrorist, but yeah, that in short, that's the the answer to to your question about the uh, water why they didn't switch over so quickly. Well, brother Haki, let me get you to hold your comment for a second. We got another caller on the line who just on, came on. I guess it won't make a have a question or comment. And we're gonna call bring this caller in who has the last four number six zero five zero. Six zero five zero. Welcome to Africa on the Moor. Your question or comment, Carlo? Good afternoon or evening. Good afternoon or Good evening. Afternoon. I, I don't know where you guys are. Um, so I had a question. Um, there was just a comment about there was a couple of brothers who actually got killed or murdered within hours of each other. Um, and it's, it seems like it was connected to or surrounding this whole Flint water issue. Um, with this issue, with this Flint water issue, no one has gone to jail and no one has really paid any price for it, right? Which leads me to believe that if, if there was something, if these, if these murders or killings had anything to do with that, then there was something else more, something else more serious that necessitated that they needed to be taken out because it couldn't have just been this because nothing was going to happen to them anyway because of this, and then nothing did happen. So maybe there was something more nefarious going on that they knew about, and maybe that's the reason. I'm just speculating, but it just seems to me that if that, if, if those killings had something to do with this, it probably wasn't because of just what we know, because just what we know, they, they covered it up and they got away with it. Nobody's gotten in trouble. It probably had to be, it probably was an attempt to cover up something more serious where, some, where there would have been some trouble, or people would have gone gone to jail, or something like that, and that was that's my question. Um, does the does the um, now forget the gentleman's name who was talking about this? Sure, it, sure, does sure. Yeah, that it was it's something more serious, maybe, and maybe that was the reason why they're no longer here. Well, well, well actually, the the truth is is that that situation is a lot more serious than we give it credit for. It was all about the water. There's nothing more serious than that except the air you breathe, perhaps. Now, uh, if if you want to know just how deep that rabbit hole goes, in short, you got to look at Flint City Council. Now, I received um, threatening phone calls from politicians from all over the nation, and I recorded a lot of those, and I still have those recordings right now, so if y'all are serious and want to listen to them, uh, I can send them to you. But I was getting I was getting threatening phone calls, and uh, a couple of those politicians were on my website when they called, and they said, well, 
you know, you got some great technology here, but you know if you bring that stuff to Flint, you're going to embarrass the state. And, well, if you embarrass the state, the state may trump up some charges against you unless you let us politicians come with you. You know, we, we bring the news cameras. They can see us helping you passing out those filters that you got, helping these poor black folk, and then your name becomes a household name and blows up, you know, and we all laugh essentially all the way to the bank, that sort of thing. And when I respectfully declined, they started, uh, let's just say, uh, making certain maneuvers to politically keep me out of Flint. But thank goodness there was a gentleman there by the name of Harold Harrington, which is the top plumber in the state of Michigan, who um, was kind enough to uh, meet with me in person and show me certain things about the infrastructure there in Flint. And it's it's way beyond what, what most people would even believe, but it boiled down to the water. Now, Eric Mays, who is still on their city council, if you look at him, if you talk to anybody about Eric Mays, for some strange reason, now he is always drunk. When uh, uh, when Congress first started having these these uh, ceremonial type hearings about Flint and all that stuff in uh, early 2016, and they uh, basically said the white boy um, uh, Edward uh, I forget his last his uh, his last name, but they started saying that he was the savior of Flint, you know, from Virginia Tech because he did this and that or whatnot. Uh, Eric Mays wasn't drinking at that time. He wasn't drunk all the time. He went to a party one night, and um, the police took him to jail because they claimed he was going 90 miles an hour with four flat tires on the highway going the wrong way. Now, I'm going to let you use your intellect on that one. How the hell can you go 90 miles an hour with four flat tires, you know? Now, Eric May's story, he told me this, and he told Farrakhan as well. I was on the phone with him when he met with Farrakhan. He said that there were some agents at that particular party that he was invited to by politicians that tried to kill him on the highway. And that's why he was driving the wrong way, but he wasn't driving 90 because they shot his tires out. And then once I told the, the other city council member this, a guy by the name of Juan Davis, on a recorded conversation, Wantress Davis said that Eric Mays was lying and nobody was trying to kill him and this and that. But you know what happened? About two and a half months later, the exact same thing happened to Wantress Davis. But then they, they made his arrest public. They put it on YouTube and all that stuff because he was an ex-felon that just got out of prison for murder. Right, And the same thing, he, he told the exact same story that Eric Mays did. He was on the highway, some guy pulled up to him, uh, pointed a gun at him throughout the window, uh, out the window on the highway, and then he had to slam on his brakes. And the cops caught him when he slammed on his brakes, but they didn't pursue the car uh, with the gunman in it, you know. So, yeah, that rabbit hole gets pretty deep, and that's what I'm saying. We, we better start paying attention. We better start paying attention real quick. Great show tonight, gentlemen. Great show. Um, this is my first time listening. I'll definitely listen again. Um, I'll get off the phone and give um, room for some other people to get in. But I did want to ask, did you guys already talk about, because I missed half the show, did you already talk about um, the gentleman with the green machine, the machine that produces the water out of air in Flint? Uh, no, but you got the mic. You can share that with our listening audience. 
It's all about getting information. So tell us what's what's up with the green machine, my brother. Okay, so there is a gentleman I can't remember his name. Um, he uh, he created a, a a machine that creates water just out of air. It's a big machine. It's green, so they call it the green machine. And I forget it gets an amazing number of gallons of water per day. And people are black people are going by there and just getting free water, right? Clean water. Um, what happened recently was that somebody sabotaged the machine. Um, and he knows, he said it was somebody who knew what they were doing. This wasn't a regular sabotage because they did specific things to the machine to disable it. So they didn't take a, you know, hammers to it or anything like that. They went in and put specific metal shavings in the engine and I mean, all kinds of stuff. Um, but I would encourage you guys to look up that story. There's a lot of people sending that story around. It's beginning, getting a lot of press on black media. Um, yep. But the gentleman is an ex-military person and an engineer, and he created this machine. And he's people are concerned for his safety, um, primarily yep. because Nestle has such a big water bottling plant there. And if he created this machine, and people are going to get free water, clean water, it kind of upsets their business. Um, so, yeah. So I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I would machine, encourage you, gentlemen. That machine is called an atmospheric water generator, and we have partners in California that make uh, the largest of those types of technology in the world. And I know exactly the gentleman that you're talking about. He's from my neck of the woods in Texas, and I did have a chance to speak to the brother. And there is uh, a lot more to that story, too, and and, uh, hopefully we could get him on the show and let him, you know, tell you guys what uh what he told some of us in in other conversations but yeah it's it's real it's real out there man i mean you know but uh, you know the, again the the people are unorganized man you know what are we going to do yeah brother hackey yes yeah, so you want to say earlier Ricky, yeah real quickly down. i just i just Real quickly, um, the thing is that when we talk about political assassinations in America, it's nothing new. Uh, so when the brother talked about the fact that the brother, the guy, individual who actually hit it, oversaw the water in uh, Michigan being assassinated, it's nothing new. Remember Vince Foster in Rock Creek Park under yeah. uh, Bill Clinton? Uh, remember Jeff Epstein, who died right there yeah. in New York City inside the jail under mysterious circumstances? In other words, we got to understand that if you're in a position to embarrass people who are powerful, being assassinated is nothing new. So I think it's important that the caller understands that. The second thing, uh, Barack Obama Barack Obama went to Flint, Michigan, and uh, they asked him to drink the water, and he, he wet his lips with it, but he wouldn't sip it. <laughs> so, so even he understood the severity of the problem that the people uh, in Flint, Michigan were confronted with. But again, he defended the system at the expense of the people in Flint, Michigan, so I'm going to just say that. In closing, that you know, we gotta understand, you know, that uh, everybody that black ain't a brother. So let us be clear on that point. Yes, and I, I just think you guys are onto the right. And the other brother just made a, a good point. It's about organizing, or, or more importantly, it's about strategizing and planning. Um, we we already know what they do, and you're right. Assassinations are nothing new, but they're more effective when. The, the 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 subject of the assassination is unprepared and unaware, right? Um, I just think a lot of a lot of this is just going to take some 
some some discussion and some planning and some strategizing, you know, all the way around. And that's something that we seem to be um, generally adverse to doing, right? We don't, you know, if we want to march, then everybody's excited. If we want to do something emotional, everyone's excited. When it's like, okay, let's sit, let's sit in front of a whiteboard behind closed doors for three, four hours, the excitement seems to go away. Um, but that's just my experience. And uh, like I said, I'll get off the line and listen to, to, to your comments. Great great show again, guys. I'll listen again next week. What time do you normally come up? What time do you, does the show start? You can, you can hear Ask every Sunday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You okay. can call 323-679-0841, or you can listen to us online by going to Blog Talk Radio and typing Africa on the moon. So every okay. Sunday Evening, Eastern Standard Time, from 7 to 9 p.m. We thank you for your participation, Carlo. Okay, panelists and guests, we are coming to an end. We're going to do a three-part segment to this segment of Telling the Truth and Fighting for Freedom. Um, We'd like to have each one of y'all closing remarks, and we'll be seeing you again next week, same time, same station. So we'll start off with our guest, our brother, uh, who has the last four numbers, uh, 3368, your final thoughts and comments for tonight, my brother. Uh, yes, thank you much. Uh, gentlemen, I will be in touch. Uh, I'm on the website now, Africa on the Move. I see the number there, and uh, I'll definitely be in touch. And, you know, we got our work cut out for us. But, you know, I believe we can do it, so. All right, we'd like to thank you for your information and your contribution to today's program. We thank you. Okay, next, let's go to Brother Moses. Your final thoughts for the brother for tonight, Brother Moses. Thank you, thank you. Uh, um, it has been a great show. Wow. I don't just talk to hear myself talk, uh, so that's why I didn't say anything, because they're so interested in listening to the brothers who, who definitely had uh, insights into the problem. And I appreciate having them on and um, it's been a great show good night thank you brother Moses and so always for your contribution to our program and we now will go with brother Jabari your final thoughts for tonight brother Jabari it's important that we're diligent in supporting and researching Netflix will aid in our progression we don't need to listen to alternative sources that are in our worst interest peace Thank you, Brother Jabari. And Brother Myron, your final thoughts for tonight. Uh, our problems that exist uh, can be changed if we start changing our minds about who we are as a people, understanding that. Uh, take control of, of, of our education system and teaching our children. Uh, banding together... Uh, to come together with one understanding that our survival of our people, which means we have to look at our children, and that should be a motivating factor for us to uh, come together uh, for our children's sake. And I'm um, and again, thank you for the invitation to participate. We'd like to thank you, Myron, for your your contribution to today's program, and we now will go to. Brother Haki, your final thoughts for tonight. 
Yeah, Brother Africa. You know, there's there's no question we will prevail as a people. Um, the problem is, what can we do in terms of minimizing potential casualties? That is the big question. Uh, history is very clear on this point. When you advocate for change, the change is inevitable. Uh, keep in mind that some things Western powers can't control. They can't control time. So we understand that we'll be successful. Uh, but I'm, I'm I'm encouraged by you know the brother calling in tonight and actually you know speaking forthrightly in terms of the issues or the problems confronting the African community. Uh, we need more brothers and sisters like that, you know, who are willing, you know, to speak, you know, forthrightly in terms of the conditions that, imperious conditions that our African people are confronted with in society. Uh, no time to be afraid. You know, uh, I was told a couple of years ago back by uh, by law enforcement that uh, we're watching you. And I said to him, you're watching me? I said, is that right? I said, no, oh, interesting. You just started that? After all these years, you just started that. I've been doing this for a long time. I mean, you just started, you know, not long ago watching me? I'm insulted. In event, we can't be afraid. We have to stand up because we don't have a choice. And as always, Brother Africa, I encourage you, the audience, I encourage people, you know, to unravel the matrix because the future uh, of our people lies in our ability to organize. Without organization, we 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 make the problems uh, much more that much more pernicious. So we have to wake up and realize that we have to come together. We have to organize and fight for what is right. And you have a good night, Brother Africa. I'd like to thank you too, Brother Hackey, for your contribution contributions to today's program. We'd like to thank all our panelists, all our guests, our listening audience and supporters for supporting Africa to move on a weekly basis. This is a radio program that comes on every Sunday evening from seven to nine PM Eastern Standard Time, US, where we speak truth to power and try to value information so that you can use it as a tool for liberation, to help liberate your people and help liberate humanity for all forms of oppression. We often tell you that the solution to African people on a global basis is pan-Africanism, which is properly defined as a total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Once we aspire to achieve this particular objective, then African people will be on their path to true liberation. Like always, we'd like to thank you again for your support. If you have any questions or comments, you can contact this radio program by emailing us at Africa on the move, the number two at gmail.com. Until next time, let's always scribe to go forward hour, backwards an hour, and we now can take you back to Africa where Mama Africa some technical difficulties without closing we'll try another song and if not brothers and sisters remember we'll see you next week same time same station you are listening to Africa on the move
crying out for justice. Everyone is crying out for peace. Yeah. None is crying out for justice. I don't want no Bottom. Awesome. 
Texas, down in Angola, equal rights. And justice, down in Botswana, equal rights. And justice, down in Zimbabwe, equal rights. And justice, down in Rhodesia, equal rights. And justice, right here in Jamaica. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 